This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Thank you everybody for tuning into the first regular season episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted by two guys who at one point owed Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I get to say welcome, too. You kind of steal my thunder, but there's so much thunder to be had on this episode. So I'm not going to be upset about it. There's so much. We have game action. We have box scores. We have score sheets. So much to talk about. Brian, I'm so I'm so excited. I made this outline for our episode. I, I must have listed like 100 players, or it feels like it. We're going to try to get to as many players as we can. Before we get into any of that, of course, we have to mention that we are proudly presented for the 2016-17 NHL season by DauberHockey.com, the best fantasy hockey website out there. I'm not just saying that because that's my line. That's how I truly feel. It's amazing. You go there for all of the articles, like Dauber ramblings every day to give you updates on what happened the night before. If you want a daily recap, that's all you need. Plus, line combinations, starting goalies. By the way, when I say line combinations, I mean in real time. You could be like partway through a game and wonder, oh, I wonder how uh, Connor McDavid is doing. Well, that's you already know the answer to that, but who's McDavid playing with? You'll find out, you know, has the line changed? It's amazing. Definitely check that out. That's at the Frozen Pools section. DauberHockey.com. I could talk about them forever. They're amazing. I'm someone who looks up a lot of line combinations. And honestly, the fastest way that I can find accurate, complete line combos, both at even strength and on the power play, is the Frozen Pool tool. I've been using it all day to prepare for this show, all week to decide what sort of fancy moves I want to make. It's over at DauberHockey.com slash Frozen Pool. Check it out. Yeah, I actually set up a Chrome extension, Brian. I'm very proud of myself. Or not an extension, what's it called? Like a bookmark. And basically I write DLC, standing for Dauber Line Combos, and then a team name, like EDM for Edmonton. And then it right away jumps me and I see the current Edmonton lines. If anyone wants to find out how I do that, just tweet at us at Keith and Carlson and I'll, I'll let you know. Or maybe I'll tweet that later. Zach Cassian, Nugent Hopkins, Pouliot have been playing the most so far to the <laughs> Oilers. So interesting to know that that line got a goal, by the way. But okay, we don't have time to talk about that. We have so many players, like I said, to talk about. By the way, we're not going to get, obviously, to every player. There's probably a player that you're thinking about that you really want to get our take on. Maybe we won't get to that player. So why don't we give some general advice of how people can handle the onslaught of information that they're getting with the first few games of the season? Yeah, there's so much coming at you, and you probably have this irresistible urge to tinker and make moves for all the exciting names that you weren't counting on picking up their games. And you're probably wondering, is any of this sustainable? The answer is, well, 
we're going to give you as best an answer we can about specific players, but generally I think you might be tempted to like go back to our episode on analytics and try and figure out how they're going to help you and apply them, but they are out the window right now. All those new stats that you might be eager to apply because you know, you've learned and are excited about not worth your time at this point. What you're seeing isn't worth analyzing that way because it's all going to look quite different in 20 games from now when we're approaching a somewhat meaningful sample size. So the numbers-based analytics can't explain things that happen one, two, five, or 10 games at a time. That means for now, you're really looking to see, is a player on a good line? Is he getting a lot of ice time? Is he getting power play ice time? That's the most meaningful stuff right now. Yeah, shots on goal. Is he taking a lot of shots? That means he can get a lot of goals. If he is scoring a lot of goals, but not taking many shots, that's probably a sign that's unsustainable. Maybe I'm looking at you, Austin Matthews. I don't want to get any hate from Leafs fans. That was an amazing first game, by the way. We'll definitely get to that. Also, another piece of general advice. We've been getting some questions like on our Facebook group, comparing sort of like two different types of players. Like, you know, we'll get a question like, I'm in a league where hits count. Who's better, Justin Abdelkader or Nikolai Ehlers? And it's kind of like, well, I mean, Ehlers is going to get more points. Abdelkader's probably going to get more hits. Brian, what's sort of the general idea here? I guess it's just a matter of like what you need for your team. Yeah, it's like comparing apples and oranges. You have a player who hits or picks up whatever peripheral, and you have a player who scores. But we're not talking in absolute values here. You have to consider each player relative to their value for your team. Like, if I have Abdelkader and Ehlers that I'm deciding between, and I drop Abdelkader and I'm within a few hits of winning or losing the hits category each week, then that's a mistake to drop Abdelkader, especially if I'm either winning or losing the scoring categories by so much that Ehlers' point totals are going to be inconsequential. So you need to figure out which player has the biggest impact on your roster in your league according to your settings, which players' categories mean more to you, which are more likely to make or break a category each week. That's how you're going to make those Abdicator or Ehlers choices or those Gudas for Marner choices. There's not one one size fits all answer. Similarly, you do have to think though about what is the value of these people. Like if you drop Ehlers to pick up Abdulkader to get some hits, you might not be able to get Ehlers back where there might always be like a 30, 40 point guy who gets hits available in free agency. So, you know, don't jump and drop someone with a lot of offensive upside in the first week to win that matchup. So there's obviously a lot to think about. You could always tweet at us at Keith and Carlson. We could try to give you some specific advice for your situation, but you have to give us the context. What are you looking for? What do you need? Okay, Brian, I want to get into players now. Are you ready? So ready. Okay. So this is what I'm thinking. First of all, we want to talk about who are the players who have surprised us in this week one. Who's having an amazing week? So I'm going to give you all the players that going into today have averaged over two points per game, have played at least two games, so and have averaged over two points a game. So someone who has at least four points in two games or six points in three games. You know, there's a lot of really interesting players there. Obviously, these are the guys that aren't going to sustain that pace, except for maybe one of them. Even even Connor McDavid, I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain a two-point-per-game pace, though he is fantastic. Let's start with him, actually. Connor McDavid starts the season just like he ended the last season. This guy, already in two games, he's actually playing today against Buffalo, so I'm not counting hit that game. Two games played, three goals, three assists for six points in two games, seven shots on goal. Of course, both of those games were against Calgary. 
So I don't know if you have to put an asterisk there. Obviously, the Oilers are going to be playing against some tougher teams than the Calgary Flames. But Brian, at this point, is he the odds-on favorite for the Art Ross? Is he the odds-on favorite to win the next 10 Art Ross trophies? I feel like we may have underrated him going into the season, saying that maybe he isn't the top pick in your draft. If you know, you're considering peripherals, maybe someone like Ovechkin might still be better for a one year. But I'm starting to think Connor McDavid is just going to get so many points this year that even though he's a center and even though he doesn't get peripherals, he might still be the most valuable guy. Take me off the ledge. I'm not going to talk you off the ledge. He very well could be the most valuable point scorer in your league, especially if he can stay healthy all season long. You've got Crosby already on the shelf, so that takes him a little bit out of the race. That's going to cost him a few points. You've got Malkin, who might inevitably be on the shelf. Connor McDavid, he got injured last year. Don't know that that's something that's going to be recurring just yet, so I am really into Connor McDavid as definitely somebody in the race for the Art Ross by the end of the year. Yeah, and then obviously with McDavid doing so well, he brings along his friends with him and a lot of fantasy value to be found in Edmonton now. His top line with Eberly and Lucic, they're doing great. Eberly's got three points in those two games. Lucic had a couple of points. Plus, you know, even defensemen like Chris Russell had three points. We wouldn't expect that from him, but from a guy who also delivers blocks. McDavid brings so many people with him. There's one guy who's not on a line with Connor McDavid who is still getting a lot of points. That's Leon Dreisaitl because he's been lucky enough to still be on the top power play, and he's doing great. He has two goals and two assists in his first two games, and we were kind of thinking that we don't know what Dreisaitl's going to be able to do with Taylor Hall out of the picture. But so far, even though he's on a line with Patrick Maroon and Jesse Pugliarvi, he's doing pretty good. Yeah, it's a great situation for Dreisaitl, who gets to play on the power play with McDavid, even if not at even strength. Seems like there's still enough value there. The Oilers scored three power play goals in those first two matchups against Calgary. And that's sort of the caveat here, though, because if you're looking at even strength, which is going to be the situation most of the time, the Oilers have really loaded up that top line with Eberle and Lucic alongside McDavid. So it's great news for those three not such great news for the rest. Dreisaitl, it's great that he's on the power play, but it's not happening at even strength. And everybody else is definitely going to have a little more trouble scoring goals because there isn't a ton of depth down that Oilers roster. I think a longer look is going to give us a better idea of how even Milan Lucic on that line with McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl might be able to carry themselves over the whole season. I'm not sold that they're suddenly going to be 70, 75 point players just by virtue of playing with Connor McDavid. Keep in mind also that the Oilers had the benefit of getting to Brian Elliott as like a deer in the headlights. He's a long way from St. Louis right now in that Calgary crease. He's going to surely adjust and hopefully Calgary adjusts to him. But Edmonton can't count on averaging six goals each game for their guys to get this many points. And for anyone planning the parade because they're excited about those 12 goals over their first two games for the Oilers, uh, they've also given up an average of three and a half goals per game, which obviously isn't going to cut it. They'll tighten up too, but it's not like they've been as dominant a team as Connor McDavid has been an individual. Right. Okay. And then also we'll have to see, like, don't get too excited about Cam Talbot. Maybe after his two wins, like I am liking Cam Talbot and I think he's in a good situation. He's the for sure starting goalie on a good team, but at the same time already Buffalo, I think has three goals tonight against Edmonton. So obviously there's going to be some struggles in terms of their defense. 
Brian, by the way, what's the status for the power play right now for Edmonton's defense? We were always wondering who's going to be the top power play D. I see Sekera had a lot of power play time in the last game. Clefbaum also had time the game before. Do you see anyone jumping out yet as the front runner of the defenseman who's going to get the most power play time playing with Connor McDavid on the power play? Or is it still like anyone's chance? I think those are the two front runners for sure. If you look at which defenseman has spent the most time on ice, Clefbaum leads the way with four minutes, four seconds. Andre Sekera with 24 seconds less. I wouldn't be surprised to see the two of them maybe trade chances for a while. I think Sekera is the steadier guy. He might be the default option, but Clefbaum is the guy who could run away with a job if he takes advantage of it. Right. And then, you know, there's also Larson, who they traded Taylor Holloway to get. Doesn't look like he's going to be the guy. I guess he's gotten some power play time, but I'm not sure if I would bank on him. So yeah, if you drafted Larson, hoping that he'd get that power play spot, I don't think that I would rely on that. I guess you could wait a few more games and see what happens, but it's looking like Sekera Clefbaum, like you said. All right, moving on to the next team, Boston Bruins. How about Brad Marchand with two goals and four assists for six points in his first two games? What an amazing start for Marchand. Also, he brought along his friend David Pasternak. What a line they've had along with David Backus. Pasternak, three goals, two assists in the first two games. So both have been amazing. Questions to you now. Will Marchand pass? his 61 points in 77 games last year. He also had 37 goals. We were wondering, you know, is he going to be able to meet that point? But the way he's playing now, we could wonder, maybe is he more of a 65-point guy? Could he be a 70-point guy? Maybe I'm going crazy. Also, Pasternak, what's his ceiling? What's his floor? Like, any chance he could get bumped from the top six? Or do we think at this point he's for sure going to be on this good line all season long? Because that was the worry about Pasternak last year. He played well for a while, but then he was also moving around the lineup, so you couldn't rely on him as a solid guy on your roster. So far, so good, obviously. Yeah, so let's rewind back to Brad Marchand, who is for real. Like last year, I don't think it really sunk in. It's like, oh yeah, he's playing with Patrice Bergeron. Bergeron takes him along for the ride and good for Brad Marchand to have a great season. He'll come back down. But I don't know that that's going to happen. Keep in mind, last year, he finished the year with 70 more shots on goal than he's ever had before. He took his career high from a previous 180 up to 200 and 50 shots on goal. That's an insane improvement, especially when you consider that Brad Marchand was a 27-year-old in his seventh NHL season while doing that. Now he has seven shots on goal after two games played, which is a minuscule but somewhat reassuring sign that this could continue. And I have this working theory that was helped uh, to be developed by Crazy Knucklehead over on Twitter, a great follow for any Bruins watchers. Marchand and Bergeron, they've always had a trigger man on their line in the past. It was Tyler Sagan three and four years ago. It was Riley Smith the two years after that. And last year it was Brett Connolly. So sorry, Sagan was four and five years ago. And last year it was Brett Connolly who took fewer shot attempts for 60 minutes than either of those guys ever did. So that made an opportunity for Marchand to start being the guy who takes shots. Interestingly enough, you have David Pasternak on that line, now taking a whack of shots, co-leading the league with 14 But Marchand still got his shots through the first two games of the season. So the question is, are there enough shots on goal to go around for both of them if they're both on the ice together? And if anyone can create that much opportunity or help to create that much opportunity for their line mates to get a lot of offensive chances, it's probably Patrice Bergeron. So that's good news for anybody hoping for a repeat from Marchand and a breakout from Pasternak. You know, Elon, you wonder if maybe he can get bumped Maybe off the top line, like if Bergeron comes back and then they move Bacchus to the top line right wing spot to keep him on that first line, 
maybe that's what happens. I don't have any belief that it will for sure. And at the very worst, that top six spot for Pasternak seems well assured, especially from his start. I put his floor at 50, although I think that's very conservative at this point. Like I'd give him a bump of two or three points. 55 points would be awesome. And if he keeps throwing seven shots on goal each game, then I could totally see 60. All right. Well, there you go. Pasternak, if he's a free agent still in your league, now might be one of your last chances to get him. I see he is only 88. Well, that's actually pretty high. 88% owned on fan tracks. So you got to act fast. If he's still available, he's not going to be for long. Obviously, Marshand isn't available. There's also, of course, like we've mentioned, David Backus had two goals and assists in his first game. It was a big win against Columbus. And again, just like when we were talking about Edmonton playing against Calgary, you know, Boston playing against Columbus, you can't go too crazy. And then Boston lost 4-1 to one against Toronto in their second game. And Pasternak and Marshand and we're involved in that one goal. So we'll see how they do as the season goes on. But definitely an exciting line to watch. And Backus obviously also has value in hits leagues. He has four hits so far in those two games. Moving on, guys, by the way, we're going to be going a little bit faster than usual through this episode because we just want to get to all the players. We have to rush right from the beginning. I want to go to St. Louis now. Paul Stasny, three games, six points. And this is a guy that we told you about going into the season. Like he's kind of underrated. Like he was getting drafted pretty late in drafts. A lot of centers going ahead of him but here's a guy who now with Bacchus out of the picture in St. Louis he's the sure shot top line top power play guy surprisingly not playing with Vladimir Tarasenko Tarasenko's been playing on a line with Perron and Yori Laterra while Stasny's been playing with Alex Steen and Robbie Fabry but by the way you know interesting for Perron and actually I just read that Laterra is injured so that's probably going to get all shaken up I also saw that Tarasenko's playing with Steen and Fabry for a while so obviously it's early in the season you got to watch those line combos over on Frozen Pool to keep up to date but Stasny is fine either way he's going to be playing with good players he's going to be on the top power play with Steen and Tarasenko and obviously he's not going to be getting two points a game but last year he was on a 60 point pace he just had an injury and he was very under the radar in getting all the points that he got I don't see any reason why he can't at least hit a 60 point pace again this year yeah and you hit the nail on the head right at the start that he was a great value pick late in drafts probably because of his center only eligibility and for a lot of people he's probably been a great free agent ad but Elon I'm giving you credit you saw this one coming you had him marked in like most of the leagues that you were drafting as somebody you knew you could pick up late and hope for an early season surge from and sure enough you've got it there's a really balanced top six in St. Louis right now and with David Backus out of the picture Stasny is all but assured to be a part of it. Sometimes in the past, his versatility has worked against him. You know, he's asked to work with another line or anchor somebody else or help bring up somebody else's possession numbers. But I think the Blues are pretty happy leaving that job to Berglund right now, which leaves Stasny free to roam amongst that very strong top six. I think he's a must add right now if you're looking to cycle somebody into your lineup in just about any format. Yeah, there was actually someone in my Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fan Tracks League that wrote a post on our Cuckupful Facebook group saying, hey, I'm looking to trade Stasny if someone could give me a defenseman who blocks. I thought, ooh, this might be my chance. I'm going to offer Andre Markov, who's good, and he is a defenseman who blocks, and he should be good for 40, 50 points. Got rejected, so I don't know what he's looking for. <laughs> if you're listening, tell me what you want. Make me an offer. I like Paul Stasny. And I'm tempted now to tell you reasons why maybe he won't be as good just so that I could get a good value for him. <laughs> yeah, but well, his, his value now has been inflated. So good luck making the trade now as opposed to before this episode aired. Ah, the perils of being the one making the podcast for the league that you're in. Oh, well. Also, I guess since we're on St. Louis, we should mention that Neil Yakupov 
had a decent first game for the team. And we were wondering what was going to happen with him in his new situation. Came in against Chicago, didn't do anything. Then against Minnesota, a goal and an assist. So a great game for him. It was only in eight minutes and 30 seconds though of time on ice. And then he followed that up with another, you know, zero point game against the Rangers and also only 12 minutes of ice time. So this is not a guy who's getting deployed in a way that's going to get you a lot of points. I still feel like, don't worry about Neil Yakupov. Like good for him that he had that one good game. But if you picked him up, getting excited about that game, I really don't think that you should hold on to him. Also, if you look at his line mates, we're talking about... Magnus Payarvi and Patrick Berglund. So Berglund's there is like, I see him as a stabilizer in St. Louis. And then you've got the two Oilers castaways, the two first round picks by the Oilers, hoping to resurrect their careers with him. I like the situation they're in. Still no power play time for Yakupov. While we're in St. Louis, Elon, let me just point out David Perron, if he's in that top six, remember he throws hits too. And can be a good shot taker depending on, I guess, what he's asked to do by his coach. So keep an eye on his numbers if you're in a hits league. And also, I wonder if St. Louis is going to have the deepest fantasy defense of any team in the league this year. You've already seen points coming from Shattenkirk, Petrangelo, and Pareko. And I expect that to keep going all season long. Yeah, actually, there's a question right here in the chat from Matthew asking, has Pareko made it to the top power play in St. Louis? I'm looking at their last game, and no, it was Petrangelo and Shattenkirk on the top power play, then Pareko was on the second power play. So the answer is no. Pareko should have a decent season, but Shattenkirk and Petrangelo are the two defensemen I think you want, especially if you need blocks, and Petrangelo is higher than Pareko. Okay, next, we got to go to our namesake, our podcast namesake, Eric Carlson. Of course, he's having an amazing start to the season. Four points in two games. He had a goal and two assists against Toronto, then came back to earth with only an assist against Montreal. Eight shots on goal, by the way, against Toronto. An amazing game for Eric Carlson. He's fantastic. I don't want to waste too much time, but I'm talking about all the players who have at least two points per game so far. Carlson's going to hit 80 points again, won't he? I hope so. I think he can get close, if not all the way there. That would be an amazing feat, by the way, not to just casually say, oh yeah, 80 points for Carlson, no big deal. It's just hard for me to watch a little bit. This is the first year that I own Carlson in no leagues. I feel Mm. like, I don't know if it's, you know, just because of this podcast, but Carlson seems to be going earlier and earlier every year. Elon, you were waiting. You thought for sure you even taunted me when we were drafting against each other. And you told me, because I was drafting 11th and you were drafting 6th, you just sent me a message. I didn't even know the draft order had been determined. And you said, looks like you won't be getting Carlson. I'm drafting 6th. And that made me so mad. (laughs) So I felt like it was a little bit of poetic justice when he was taken 5th, one pick before you. I was so annoyed because I even did some recon going into that draft. I knew there was a Sens fan drafting third. This guy, Aaron, and I was, you know, who's he going to take with his third pick? Maybe he'll take Carlson. I'm so worried. And then I messaged him and he was like, I think I got to go Ovi with that pick. I was like, nice. Okay, Carlson's going to come to you. Then the guy who picked fifth, not only did he pick Carlson when I was so sure I was going to get him, but he wrote in the chat room on Fantrax, guess you're not going to be keeping Carlson this year. Like, (laughs) ah, hate that guy. I ended up taking Carey Price with that pick. I was flustered. I didn't even have a plan. I just assumed I would get Carlson. I'm curious to see what it'll be like to have such a great goalie. I've never really picked a goalie so high. But anyway, let's get back to Ottawa. I want to mention one other player. Obviously, the team is doing okay. They scored a lot of goals against Toronto. They scored a decent number of goals against Montreal. 
And so a lot of people are getting points. Bobby Ryan's doing good. Broussard's doing good. Tourists, not too shabby, two goals. But I wanted to mention Zach Smith, who you brought up, Brian, in the preseason, saying he was going to be in the top six. And he has indeed. He's been playing on a line with Bobby Ryan and Derek Broussard. And he's got two points in two games, which is obviously really good. Plus so many hits. He had five hits in his first game, six hits in his second game. So if this is a guy who could, you know, obviously he's not going to put up a point per game, but if he could even put up like a 50-point pace and give you so many hits, if you're in a league that counts hits and Zach Smith is available, he's currently only owned in 30% of Fantrax leagues, I think you got to jump on him, right? At least in the short term while he's in the top six. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind that the goal he scored against Montreal was very loosely scored by him. It was a shot from the point that ricocheted off his leg without him really knowing. So that was great for him, and he got the point. But he's going to have to keep getting similar luck to keep up like a 50-plus point scoring pace. That said, if he's in the top six in Ottawa, and that line does seem to be clicking, and he clicked on the line last year in the top six too, so maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. But anyway, if your league counts hits, it's almost a no-brainer for as long as he is in that top six. All right, so let's go to the Rangers now. There's been a couple really interesting players. Basically, this line of Chris Kreider, Mikers Zibanejad, and Pavel Buknevich? 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 I, I never even knew I this guy. a soft C. So how would you say it? You know, I, I watched the game last night, and I tried to take note. Buknevich? Buknevich? Oh, okay. I could be wrong. Well... Anyway, good line so far. I don't know who this guy is. You're going to have to give us a little bit of a roundup, but I'll just quickly say, so Chris Kreider, four points in two games. Every year at the beginning of the year, people are wondering, is this the year that Chris Kreider is going to break out? And so far, two goals and two assists in two games is very good. He had a goal and assist in both the game against the Islanders and the game against St. Louis. Also, seven shots on goal in each of those games. Also, four hits in each of those games. So Chris Kreider has been a monster playing with Zibanejad and Vucinovic. So that's great. Zibanejad also, by the way, four points in those two games. I also have some players on the Rangers that I want to ask you about that have been absent in those games. But first, let's get your take on this really hot line. Okay, let's start out with Kreider's hot start. This is what Chris Kreider does in October. He teases everybody, especially when everybody sort of forgets about him in the offseason and then sees his name come up on their draft list and they're like, oh yeah, Chris Kreider, this is his year. Every single year, Pooleys love him as a late pickup in the draft or a very early free agent ad. And I've always been very cool to all the talk of Kreider's career year being imminent. It's going to be the next one. It's going to be the next one. It's going to be the next one. I'm over it, except he had 14 shots on goal in the first couple games. And so this is the first time I'm ever feeling a little bit swept up by Chris Kreider myself. So I'm still trying to talk myself out of it. I'm not convinced it's reasonable. And I've found the nugget I need to truly talk myself out of it for now. Not saying it's right, but it's what makes me feel comfortable. Kreider's best month, I looked at his split stats, his best month has always been October. Mm. Then he reverts to a half point per game guy after that. In his career, if you look at his split stats over about three and a half years of being in the NHL, he's had a 55 point full season pace in his October games. Then that point pace drops to a 50-point pace in November and then averages out to about a 40-point pace for the rest of the year. So I feel like this is all part of the Chris Kreider tease. Don't get too excited about it, except he is really clicking with that line. So maybe that's a new element. New York is a little deeper at sea than they ever have been, I think, with the emergence of JT Miller as another legitimate option. So between Zibanejad, Stepan, and Miller, you have three legitimate centers 
And again, Crider's line has been really clicking, so maybe it's going to work. I'm just not buying it yet. Well, in the chat room here, we have a comment from Matthew saying, the change this year, the difference is Zabanajad. Maybe he's the guy that's going to help Kreider break out. Zabanajad and Broussard both looking good with their new team. Zabanajad has looked incredible as well. Uh, I'm going to go into Busnevich, though, who was a third rounder in 2013. You just asked for a quick rundown. So here it is. He broke into the KHL as an 18-year-old, did pretty well. And after three full years of playing there, he is now entering the NHL as a 21-year-old, making a good impression, a little less ice time than a couple of his line mates, though. He's getting a bit of a power play specialist deployment, so he's seeing a lot of power play time, but not a commensurate amount of time at even strength. So keep an eye on that. And then, Elon, can I just go on to Rick Nash? <laughs> well, okay, let's just set the stage here. First of all, before we even get to Rick Nash, there's this other line that we would have thought would have been maybe the stronger line for the Rangers, Stepan, Zuccarello, and Jimmy Vesey actually playing with them. We'll see how long that lasts. They haven't gotten like any points yet, so that hasn't been good. Neither has their power play line, which has been the same. So it's been all the Kreider, Busnevich, and Zibanejad line getting all the points. And then, by the way, you're right, I haven't even mentioned Rick Nash because he's been on line three with Miller, JT Miller, and Hayes. Like, what? This is a guy, he's already coming off a season of 36 points in 60 games. So he didn't do well last year. Not a great start this year. He doesn't have any points. He's not playing on a good line. He's on the power play. So maybe he, there's something there. Like, I'm not saying that you have to for sure give up on Rick Nash, but I am definitely concerned, Brian. And so are a lot of people in our Facebook group asking, should I drop Nash for this guy? Should I drop Nash for this guy? You know, Nash for Pasternak, Nash for Patrick Laine, who we'll get to. How valuable is Rick Nash's upside or the fact that he's done it before? Because at this point, I'm getting very concerned that I, I'm not expecting more than like 50 points. Maybe a Zetterberg of last year, this year is Rick Nash. Yeah, I don't know yet that I'm ready to give up on him. His low ice time is concerning, as well as his low power play time on ice. And it's worth noting, you know, guys like Busnevich and Zabanejad and Kreider and Kevin in the chat is mentioning Brandon Peary as another guy who's getting some power play time ahead of Rick Nash. But I don't know that Rick Nash is going to last playing in this depth role. I could see him stepping in for Jimmy Vc on line one before long, since not much has been clicking with that top line with Stepan and Zuccarello just yet. I think Nash's value is really low right now, so you could probably swap him out for someone more exciting right now. But as I said in the offseason series, I still think he has that 55, 60-point potential in him. It just may not come as easy as it once used to. And the telltale sign, if you're looking at Rick Nash, someone on your roster, someone you're considering picking up, is his shots on goal count. They were way down last year. And what you're looking for is to see that he's averaging about three shots per game rather than two shots per game. That's your sign that Rick Nash is ready to continue producing 55 points or more. If it's two shots a game, then buyer beware. Yeah, so how's he doing this year? Still down, but I think that's a bit of a function of the low ice time to get started. I I feel like the Rangers might be trying to see who can stick, who can do what with... Piri and VC and Busnevich and Zabanejad, so many new pieces, and they're all clicking, except, like I said, Jimmy VC on that first line, I think might be ripe for a swap with Rick Nash. Yeah, Brian, you know what? I am going to, I think, disagree with you. I feel like the signs were there last year that he was slowing down. I think it's going to continue. If it was me, I'd drop Rick Nash for David Pasternak, and I might even drop him for Patrick Laine. Those, those okay. are the two questions we got about him. Okay, I would drop Nash. I Did I not just say that his <laughs> value is low right now? So you could, if there's someone more exciting like Pasternak or like Laine, whose values are through the roof right now, that you can swap Nash out for, then go ahead and do it. 
just saying keep an eye on him. I don't think he's done. Okay. All right, yeah. Maybe not done, but I think he's done being like a 60-point and like potential 35-40 goal guy. I guess we'll see. He's, he's, he's done being a can't-drop guy. Definitely. Okay, let's okay. go to Florida now. The leading scorer on Florida is Jonathan Marcheseau. Okay, we talked about him last week as his free agent pickup from the summer, I guess. And we saw that with Hubert Doe injured, Marcheseau was going to get a chance on the top line potentially with Barkov and Yager, and he has taken advantage. He should be sending a gift basket to Jonathan Huberdo in the hospital or wherever he is right now. Hopefully he's not still in the hospital, that by the way. so mean, by the way. Can you imagine if he sent a gift basket to Jonathan, Mar- er, Jonathan Huberdo saying thanks for all the points? No, well, they are Huberdeau's points. Like, I'm pretty sure that Huberdeau would be getting these same points playing with Barkov and Yager. I don't think Marshall's any better, but he's definitely taking advantage of his situation. He's got four points in two games. He had a goal against New Jersey, and then he had a goal and two assists yesterday against Detroit. Six shots on goal also yesterday. So an amazing, amazing start for Marshall. So, of course, the question, can he keep it up? Is this sustainable? Obviously, I'm not asking if he can keep up two points per game, but do you think he's going to stay fantasy relevant if he's a free agent in your league, which he probably is. He's still only owned in 35% of leagues on fan tracks. What would you do with Jonathan Marshall? right now, do you have to grab him? Can you still leave him in free agency? I'm just saying if for some reason I could not podcast for the next six to eight weeks, say, and another host came in and you guys are racking up the downloads and iTunes reviews or whatever we measure podcast success by. And that host sent me a note Saying, sent me a gift basket to wherever I was laid up because I couldn't podcast. I'd be really, I'd be, I'd take that pretty hard. I just want you to, I'm really hung up. Okay. Jonathan Marcheseau, regardless of whether he sends a gift basket to Huberto or not, things are going very well for him. I think what we're all waiting, our gift basket would be some left wing eligibility for Marcheseau since that's where he's been playing nonstop. And you know what? He's not looking like a passenger doing it either right now. The Panthers are averaging 36 shots on goal per game over their first two games, which is the third highest rate in the league for whatever that's worth. The first line of Marjusso, Barkov, and Yager account for about a third of all the Panthers' shots. They've got 25 shots on goal between them. Ekblad's got eight as well, by the way, which is worth mentioning. Anyway, all that to say, Marjusso is not just hanging around on that line. He's a big part of what's happening on it. I don't think he's just riding coattails like, say, I don't know, I'm trying to think of our usual third pieces on the top line, like Ryan Callahan or Alex Kalorn. Maybe Patrick Eves. Patrick Eves or Temi Panarin, whatever. Marcheseau has looked better (laughs) than any of those guys in his role. And I just wonder if it offers the Panthers more options when Huberto comes back. Maybe this is good for Nick Bjorkstad's value one day in the future, but that's getting a little too far ahead of ourselves. Marcheseau is a must-add. All right. Well, you've heard it here first. If he's available for you, you should add him. By the way, you really dropped the bomb there on Panarin, calling him a passenger. We'll get to him later on the episode. I meant, I totally meant Artem Anisimov. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll still talk about Panarin (laughs) later. He's off to a cold start. I wanted to mention still on Florida, Alex Barkov. He has nine shots. I think you might've brought up these shots in in the first two games. This is a guy who has never really averaged more than two shots a game. So if he's able to put up these shots, that might make up for the fact that we talked about all over the summer about how that top line on Florida had a really high shooting percentage. That might regress. One way to fight that off is just to take a lot more shots. Then you could keep the same number of points. Yeah, for sure. So we were talking about in the summer how we were worried because their shooting percentages are going to regress. I don't know how I can repeat the point without just saying exactly what you said. If you take a ton more shots, then you can 
fight back against the inevitable shooting percentage regression. You can score more goals just by, did you say, Elon, brute forcing it? Yeah, just take as many shots as you need to in order to get the goals that you got last year. Now on to Toronto, where after the first game of the season, I thought we'd be starting the show there. But, you know, not such an exciting second game. But hey, that's all right. Austin Matthews, what a start to his NHL career. The only rookie ever, the only player ever to score four goals in his first game. Just unbelievable. That was uh, like an amazing game. Of course, the Leafs lost. Then they made up for it (laughs) yesterday by beating Boston, which was great, though nothing from Matthews and his line with Nylander and Hyman in that game yesterday. Yesterday, the points came from JVR, Marner, and Tyler Bozak, who, by the way, isn't it surprising that Bozak is playing on the second line? You got Matthews, Bozak, and then Nazem Kadri all the way down on the depth chart, like not playing many minutes. He has no points so far. I actually, Brian, I'll admit, I dropped him after two games, which I know you always say, don't make rash decisions, but I just don't like Kadri's situation on Toronto. But anyways, I've just named a whole bunch of players. I even want to kind of mention a couple of more. We got to start with Austin Matthews. Obviously, the hype machine was in full force after that first game. People wondering, how many points is this guy going to get? Is he going to get like 80 points? Is he going to score, you know, a goal every game? We saw that he isn't invincible. He didn't get points in the second game, but obviously he's still playing well. What do you think at this point as your ceiling and floor for Matthews this season? Well, still on a 164 goal pace this year, even after going goalless in game number two. What was really impressive about what Matthews did was that all four goals were even strength. And that's not just credit to Matthews. That's credit to the entire Leafs. There were some great setups, including one from Nylander. Although Matthews certainly worked hard on that second goal of the night where he worked through three Sens players all in a row, including our man Eric Carlson. That was a sad sight for me to see. But I wonder if now you can try and sell high on Austin Matthews in a one year. It doesn't significantly change my projection for him, what he did in that first game. So I'm wondering if you can get some kind of insane return back from him, especially from some Leafs fan who's all pumped up about that debut. Maybe it's worth exploring to see if you can get like a bona fide top 10 or top 15 center to go in place of him in your lineup. One really interesting thing to note about the entire Leafs roster, no forward is averaging more than 17 and a half minutes per game. In fact, only two forwards are averaging more than 17 minutes, only three forwards averaging more than 16 minutes per game, which is odd for the record. Like if you're not familiar with how much time a forward should be seeing, usually your top six could see like 17, 18, even 19 minutes a game. Then you've got a few guys hanging around 15, 16. It's a very even distribution of ice time. And it's really just the centers who are seeing the most to start. So something that I think speaks to how we expect Toronto Maple Leafs players to be deployed for the rest of the year. I think they're going to be rolled out pretty evenly. I mean, they have this sort of depth where neither line is a world beater necessarily, but they all seem pretty solid when you have guys starring like Kadri and Matthews, and then you have support players like Nylander and Marner and Zach Hyman and Milan Mihalik even having a pretty good start to his year. I did forget to mention James Van Rienzyk is one of the stars of that roster. It'll be really interesting to see how it evolves. I wonder if it can end in any Maple Leaf player, though, breaking 55 points. Yeah, I would say maybe put the ceiling at Matthews for 60 points. If you could get someone who you think could get more than 60 points in a one-year league, yeah, I would try to make that deal. Ryan Getzlaff just scored for Anaheim. I would take Getzlaff over Matthews in a one-year league. Who knows about the future? And if you're in a keeper league, that would be an interesting offer that you get. By the way, Brian, you you didn't mention Tyler Bozak. He had two assists 
yesterday. And he's playing on a line with Mitch Marner and James Van Riemsdyk. So maybe you're not giving enough credit to Bozak, who's getting deployed over Nazem Kadri. I know you also have been saying that you really like Mitch Marner. Like, and Nylander has been good. I don't even know like what to ask. There's all these interesting Toronto players. Can you just sort of give a quick ranking of, say, Nylander, Marner, I don't know, Bozak? I think I, think I, I, think I just did. I think... I expect them to be pretty evenly deployed and see pretty even success. I'm not going to try ranking one over the other. I know before the season started, I made that fearless prediction that Mitch Marner was going to lead all Toronto rookies in points. I don't know that I still stand by that, but I do think it'll be a close group at the top. Okay, that's fair. Shutting me down. One last thing, Nazem Kadri. <laughs> Did I make a mistake for dropping him? Do you think he has a chance? He's playing on a line with Komarov and McCulloch right now, which I think is like the third line maybe a shutdown line. And he's also not getting power play time. Obviously, it's only been a couple of games. Maybe Kadri will get... And actually, he did get some power play time last game on, I guess, the second unit. Last year, he had a great year. And by great year, I mean, he took a lot of shots on goal. Not as many goals. Only had like 40-something points. But we thought that he could do better. It was just some bad luck. Now he's got two games, only one shots on goal. In those two games combined, like, what do you think? Is, is there a chance that he could still be one of these top guys? Or do you think he's for sure like someone that you could drop because he's not too interesting right now and not being deployed as someone who could get, say, more than 40 points? I think more the latter. I still believe in him. Remember, last year was a ton of shots and no points. Now it's no shots and no points. I think he's probably being tasked with some of the heavier lifting on the Leafs roster. So that's probably why he might not have as much opportunity to score as the other guys. That said, I think he's still talented enough to hit 50 this year, even in a difficult situation. So I haven't lost all hope, but his value is probably pretty low right now, especially as a C exclusive guy. And Elon, before we move on from Toronto altogether, I want to point out what's happening on their blue line on the power play. Everybody thought Morgan Riley was going to be the no doubt guy Q being the power play. And he's had about 56 seconds over the first two games, which is not a lot pales in comparison to Nikita Zaitsev, four minutes of power play time over the first two games. And the next best defenseman in terms of just time on ice on the power play on the Leafs right now is Jake Gardner with about 20 seconds fewer than Nikita Zaitsev. Right. So definitely Zaitsev, who, by the way, also got a point in the last game. So he's someone you got to look at if he's still available in free agency. We've talked about him a bit over the summer. Maybe he's not going to be as good as Zach Wierenski, who we'll get to a bit later, who's had an amazing start to the year. But Zaitsev definitely holding his own and, yeah, getting the power play time even over Morgan Riley, which is surprising. One more player to talk about that has over two points per game. And I'm only considering people who have played at least two games. There were a bunch of people on Colorado yesterday, including Joe Colborn, who got a hat trick. Maybe we could ask about him. But OK, first, got to talk about Blake Wheeler. And obviously, there's not much to say. Wheeler's amazing. He has two goals and two assists in two games so far. Eight shots on goal. No big surprise. Three points in his first game, a goal yesterday. The surprise is that already the lines have been shaking up. And in the last game, Patrick Laine got onto the top line to play with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. So for people who were thinking Laine would be on a second line with Brian Little, who, by the way, is injured. We'll get to that. Also, so much news this week, Brian. Okay. Line A now on the top line with Shifley and Wheeler. Amazing news for him. Not so great news for Nikolai Ehlers, who we thought would have that role, though Ehlers is still getting power play time. What is the question I have to ask you? I guess Line A, just like with Austin Matthews, what do you think his upside is for this year now? Is it higher than you thought before? I'd say it stays about the same as well. I think the hype was like 60 plus with 30 to 35 goals. I still think that's high. I'd probably put him closer to 55 in a really good year. 50 points as a rookie is a very successful campaign. So we'll see exactly what he can do. Nothing that's happened so far changes how I feel about him. 
I think the big news in Winnipeg that you didn't really touch on yet is Brian Little's injury. I know we have injuries coming later in the show, but Brian Little's injury means that while we had four wingers who were guaranteed good value in that top six because you had Shifley's center on one line and Little center on another, now there's only two wingers. There's not an equal replacement option for Brian Little to come in and help carry a line to success. So it means that first line left wing spot is much more important now than before, which does hurt Nick Ehlers. I also wonder if there's anything to the theory that opponents have one less line to key in on now while Little's out, which would make things more difficult for Shifley. Hypothetically, Elon, I know you don't buy into that theory. Yeah, well, also, don't forget, there is another centerman there, and he's not chopped liver. He's a guy who you used to love. Matthew Perot has stepped in to center the second line, playing with Ehlers and Stafford in the last game. So obviously not the same as Brian Little, but that's an okay line, and Ehlers is really good, and Stafford could hold his own, and who knows how things will shake out. I think, I guess, this little injury is good news. For Matthew Perot, like if he's a free agent in your league, he's someone who's going to get a higher deployment now, maybe a better chance of getting power play time. He has two points so far in the two games. Yeah, and Drew Stafford is also on the top power play, which is worth mentioning. And Elon, I just want to mention to Jeb before you close the book on them, Kyle Connor, we've had a lot of people asking about him and how we feel about him. Some people have even said he's going to be the highest scoring rookie on Winnipeg this year. He was their 17th overall pick in 2015 in the first round, of course, uh, had 35 goals and 71 points with Michigan in the Big Ten last year. Right now, the only positive thing about his deployment is that he's on the second power play unit. So maybe keep an eye on how he moves up and down the lineup. We've seen a lot of rises and falls from most Winnipeg players over the last couple of years under Paul Maurice. Yeah, and by the way, okay, if you, I'll still even keep the book open for Winnipeg because maybe we can mention the goaltending quickly. It looks like we have a controversy, or at least, I guess controversy is not the right word, but it's going to be a battle for who's going to get more starts between Hellebuck and Hutchinson. Both haven't made a good case. They both let in four goals in each of the games that they played. So I guess it's anyone's game right now. I don't think I would count Hutchinson out. Like Hellebuck has to still prove himself. He had a rough end to his time with the team last year, and it's a rough start. Of course, it's only been one game. But yeah, if Hutchinson's available in a super deep league, like he might get more playing time than you might expect. Over the next month or two, perhaps, I think Maurice really is committed to a timeshare. For some reason, they don't want to hand the reins over to Connor Hellebuck immediately. And yeah, right now, Hutchinson is in the lead ever so slightly with an 871 save percentage mm-hmm. to Hellebuck's 852 save percentage. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, yeah. Like you said, Brian, last week we were talking about Andre Pavlik and how maybe we weren't giving him enough credit because Winnipeg's a hard team to have a high save percentage on because maybe they don't play so well defensively. So far, we're seeing evidence for that with Hellebuck and Hutchinson. Hopefully, Winnipeg can tighten things up a little bit and make these goalies have some fantasy relevance. How about now? Like I said, I don't want to get into too much about the Colorado or Arizona guys who've only played one game so far, but anything about Joel Colborne's hat trick? He had that great year last year on Calgary, at least a great end to the season. Is he someone people should be looking to grab in free agency now that he had three goals in Colorado's 6-5 win against Dallas yesterday? Yeah, he had this funny season last year where he had really good underlying numbers, but I still wasn't buying in to him being a really good player. Like his raid stats were off the charts and that's actually the specific underlying numbers I was referring to, but I never got the feeling that he was going to be better with more time. He seems to want to prove me wrong with that hat trick in the first game. It came on four shots on goal and two of them came on the power play. So all of that, obviously we're not going to say it's sustainable, 
right off the bat, but I still think at the end of the day, he remains Joe Colborn. Do I have license to talk about the Colorado Lions for just a sec? Of course. Okay, so Jerome McGinley won the lottery to play on the top line with Gabriel Landeskog and Nathan McKinnon. A lot of people wondering what his value is this year. His value is fantasy relevant if he hangs out on that top line for any length of time. Francois Beauchemin started doing his thing last night. Two assists, one on the power play, and three blocks. Would love to see that happening all year long. Matt Duchesne, interestingly enough, on a bit of an island in Colorado right now, both at even strength. He's playing with Grigorenko and Soderberg, which isn't a great line. It's also not a bad line, but it's not like the best situation, although Matt Duchesne is good enough that he can handle his business himself. And hey, maybe Grigorenko has some star power in him that we're going to see unlocked this season. Duchesne's also on the second power play unit. Does not bode well. It's a little concerning that there aren't a ton of players for him to play with on that second power play unit or necessarily at even strength. I'm not writing off Grigorenko. It's just not the best situation. It's like they're counting on Matt Duchesne to be his own scorer to carry some other guys to scoring success. Yeah, well, definitely it's concerning. Like Matt Duchesne, not on the top power play. Colorado scored six goals yesterday and Duchesne didn't get a single point. Like I said, he had three shots on goal. So something, but if he's not on the top power play and he's not on such a great line, it's definitely concerning. And I feel like hopefully I was right. I guess I in one of my drafts, I had the choice of taking McKinnon or Duchesne. Maybe that was like an, actually an easy choice. But yeah, McKinnon definitely seems to be getting the better deployment on the top power play, playing with Landeskog and Joe McGinnon, like you said. I don't know, Matt Duchesne, I was worried that Patrick Waugh sort of had him in the doghouse last year. Now would be his chance to break out with a new coach. So far, you know, not great. We'll have to see. I'm not going to call him like someone that you should be concerned about yet, like a Rick Nash, but I'm a little concerned, I guess I'll say. Maybe also I want to quickly go to Arizona, who only played one game, so we don't need to dig too deep, but I'm liking that first line of Verbata, Hansel, and Domi. So far, so good. Like, they had a great game. Hansel, like, a ton of shots on goal. Watch those guys. If any of those guys are available as free agents in your league, like, Verbata has been written off by a lot of people after that horrible year last year in Vancouver, but he's not far removed from being a valuable fantasy asset when he was on Arizona, and if he's on the top line and on the top power play like he has been now, I think he has value. Same with Hansel, plus Hansel gives you hits if you're in a league that counts that. Hansel and Verbata are probably... The only guys who are playing on the top line in the NHL right now and playing on a top power play unit and who both are quite possibly unowned and all likelihood undrafted in most fantasy leagues. They're in a good spot to do something this year, especially Hansel. The caveat is he's going to get injured at some point, but until he is, grab him and go. Arizona had 35 shots on goal in their season opener, although they were against a tired Philadelphia team. So trying to count for that. But Hansel and Verbata had 12 shots between them. Domi, the other guy on the line, had only two. So I guess we see how the shooting situation might go for the first little while. Again, just one game. So maybe we won't go too deeply into thinking hard about that. But Hansel and Verbata, again, first line, top power play. Another guy in Arizona worth talking about who I liked as a depth pick in my drafts this year, Alex Goligoski, he got the second defenseman role on the first power play and had a power play point to show for it with three shots, two hits, four blocks. 
All right, great for him. And one guy that was noticeably absent from that first game was Dylan Strom, who was healthy scratched. And a lot of people thought he would have a chance to maybe get 40, you know, 45 points as the second line center. But no, actually Christian Dvorak. And this is interesting because in my conversation with Peter Harling, he was saying how like, watch out for Dvorak because it might be him and Strom taking turns on that second line while the other one maybe gets scratched. And Dvorak came in, he had an assist yesterday so not so bad playing with Duclair and Tobias Ryder and yeah I guess he's the guy that's ahead right now we'll see if Strom gets a chance to play and how he'll do I'm sure that Strom's not going to be scratched like a whole ton of games in a row but wow Hansel and Verbata just very exciting seven shots for Hansel four shots for Verbata I like those guys definitely grab them if you can in free agency I guess we talked about Marcia so like he's in I'd say they're above a Marsha so because there are people who I think are for sure going to stay on the top line like who's going to take away that position from them that's all the players I wanted to talk about in terms of like hot streaks and people who started the year with over two points per game we still have injuries to talk about and some line combos and, and still so much before we get into that maybe we could take a second to thank the patrons of keeping Carlson the people who have kept us going like all throughout the summer supporting us and now in our Facebook group really making it awesome so just to recap it for those of you who don't know we have this program the patron program if you want to donate five dollars a month to the podcast we really appreciate it and you help support us and help keep us going plus you get access to our patron only facebook group which like you could ask a question and you get advice not only from brian and i but from all of the smart patrons out there plus we have our monthly patron cast it's going to be we've decided for the most part the final tuesday of every month We'll have a patron cast where you could just come on. It's basically a show just like this, except you guys are in charge. The patrons ask the questions and we just don't stop until we answer all of their questions. So lots of nice perks. Plus you get to buy Brian and I each a beer or one of us a beer per month if you want to donate $5 a month to support Keeping Carlson. So if you want more information, just check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Yeah, if you like the show and are enjoying it and download and listen every week and you appreciate what we do, if you wanted to flip us a little financial support for it, we'd appreciate it. Thank you very much to Rahul, Chad, and welcome back, Justin, for uh, for joining us and supporting the show and joining the Facebook group. They are in. They'll be at the patron cast, I hope. You can be too, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Okay, Brian, let's continue to injuries. It's going to happen every week, this depressing thing. Normally, I start the show with injuries, but it's like, no. How about from now on, we'll talk about injuries halfway through, unless it's something super significant. Though, actually, we have a couple of really significant ones. We have to start in LA with Jonathan Quick out at least three to four months with a groin injury. Oh, my goodness. In the first game, he went down. And at first, I actually had to think twice before I remembered, like, who's the backup on LA? It's Jeff Zatkoff former backup on Pittsburgh. So not the most exciting guy to add. A lot of people still obviously picked him up. He was okay in relief for quick after he got injured in his first game against San Jose, letting only one goal, made 15 saves. But then against Philadelphia, he let in four goals, had an 867 save percentage. And I have a feeling that's more of what we can expect from Jeff Sadkoff. Obviously, LA is a good team to be a goalie on. A lot of goalies who we maybe wouldn't consider to be so amazing have had success playing on LA. Jonathan Quick himself is someone we've talked about on the podcast who maybe isn't that amazing compared to his numbers, but you know, he gets inflated numbers because he plays on LA. I don't know, Brian, first of all, is Jeff Zatkoff worth picking up? Like, will he be good if he is the number one goalie on LA? Like can LA still win and can he put up decent numbers? And also is there maybe a better chance that LA ends up playing someone else and Zatkoff doesn't even really get to play all of those games with quick out? 
Yeah, I don't think that Zatkoff is equipped to be the Kings starter. And I also don't think that the duo of Zatkoff and Budai is really going to cut it either. You did mention that Jonathan Quick, you know, I've always thought of him as an average goaltender benefiting from a good situation. But our chat about Mercad over the summer, that's adjusted goals saved above average, makes me start to think that perhaps Jonathan Quick is better than we've all given him credit for. I mean, don't get me wrong, LA is better equipped than like Montreal was last year to handle their workhorse starter going down. They've got a better defense, a better system to handle it. But Jonathan Quick, I think, has earned whatever numbers he's put up, even if they are roughly average in the regular season. Back to Zakoff and Budai, I didn't rush to add either one. I think the Kings are going to have to turn to outside help And looking around the league, Pavlik is the one who stands out as the likely guy who's available. I'm sure the Jets have already offered him up on a silver platter. J.F. Baruby was the other one that I thought of right away. He was claimed by the Islanders off waivers from the Kings at the start of last year when Halak was injured to start the season. And I remember reading at the time that the Kings were not too happy about it. They were hoping that they could sneak Baruby through and keep him in the organization. Some other dark horse names to be acquired. I have no inside info. Some of these might need to have some salary retained, but I'm going to throw out Eddie Lack and Andrew Hammond as potential options to maybe head to LA and do a decent job. And then if you really want to consider every possible option, you've got Philadelphia, Vancouver, Dallas, and Detroit. They each have an extra goalie. Maybe they get rid of one of them. I wouldn't mind seeing Jacob Markstrom get a ticket out of Vancouver and into LA. That would be interesting. Yeah, well, I don't know why Vancouver would do that just because Ryan Miller is getting up in age. Sure, he had a shutout yesterday, even though he didn't get credited for that shutout because of an own goal. But yeah, I just don't see Vancouver getting rid of who I would think is the next guy. We don't know why Vancouver does anything. So I'm pretty sure anything is possible. Mm -hmm. They've traded away Luongo. They've traded away Schneider. They've traded away Lack. Why stop there? Trade away Markstrom. That's fair. That's fair. Kevin is saying Jimmy Howard to LA. I guess you mentioned Detroit. So that would be interesting. So we'll see. Obviously, there's going to be a big rush in free agency. You know, keep your eye on your the score app or whatever you use to get your updates. And if LA signs a goalie or trades for a goalie, you need to grab him probably very quickly because I don't think that Jeff Zadkoff has much of a chance. Like you said, I agree that they should find someone else. And otherwise, I don't even think I'd grab Jeff Zadkoff because I don't think he's going to have great numbers. Okay, the other big injury news comes from Buffalo. Oh, poor, poor Buffalo. My poor baby's in Buffalo. Come on. (laughs) Jack Eichel out six to eight weeks with a high ankle sprain. Evander Kane is going to be out weeks. We don't even know how long with three cracked ribs. Evander Kane, oh, I actually had him in a couple of my leagues. And it's like, why do I keep doing this to myself? He always gets injured. I just thought, oh, the upside. But, you know, that's the thing, the alluring thing about Evander Kane. They're both out. I thought that would be bad for a guy like Sam Reinhardt because I was really excited about him playing with Eichel, though Reinhardt's been on an amazing line, at least tonight, with Kyle Ocposo and Ryan O'Reilly. So Buffalo does still have that great top line. I think Reinhardt will be fine. Ocposo, by the way, playing his first game tonight. He was a little bit injured before, but he already has a goal and an assist, a power play assist. So great start for Kyle Ocposo. But anyone else on Buffalo, because I thought there was going to be two really good lines. And the sixth guy there, aside from Reinhardt, Ocposo, O'Reilly, Eichel, and Kane, I thought the sixth guy that was going to be in that top six and have a really good chance was going to be Tyler Ennis, who was like injured all of last year. And finally, I thought now would be his chance to come in and have a good season playing with good line mates already now. Obviously, that goes out the window with all of these injuries. He's playing tonight on a line with Nicholas Delorier and Derek Grant. So if you picked up Tyler Ennis, like I did it in one league, I've already dropped him once I saw these injuries. What a bummer. 
Yeah, so it kind of eliminates all fantasy value for any Buffalo Sabre who isn't Sam Reinhart, Ryan O'Reilly, and Kyle Lucposo. Everybody else is sort of just floundering in the middle. Not that there really are a lot of other candidates that have fantasy value. They're all injured. So too bad for Buffalo, especially if Robin Lehner can't get his goaltending game together because they're going to be scoring fewer goals until they get those injured players back in the lineup. Yeah, well, hey, they're winning 4-2 to two right now. And obviously, you didn't mention any defense when Rasmus Ristolainen still has value. He's on that top power play with Akposo and O'Reilly and Reinhardt. And he has a power play assist tonight. So good for Rasmus Ristolainen. Oh, actually, two assists tonight. And Buffalo's winning 4-2. to two. So good for Robin Leonard. Hopefully, he'll be able to hold his own. And Edmonton just kind of is having a bad game. So, okay, we probably shouldn't be reporting on a single game. So let's move on. Any more injuries to talk about? I guess we already talked about Brian Little above. So, okay, how about we move on to some roster moves that have happened over the past week? There were a few players who we talked about as being waived from their team. Some of them, surprisingly, like P.A. Parento. He got signed pretty quickly, as well as some other guys. So we could quickly mention Parento got picked up by New Jersey. He played with Taylor Hall and Travis Zajac yesterday and he already has two points in two games so Parento another guy that's probably available in your league and is someone to watch surprising that he got dropped by the Islanders and right away he's making an impact and by the way before I cut to you why is Zajac playing with Hall and not Adam Henrique I think we all assumed that it was going to be Henrique getting that spot if you really reached high for Henrique hoping for that not a sure thing Clearly, Hall and Henrik both pointless in two games, by the way, while Travis Zajac has a goal. Well, it's no shame that Adam Henrik isn't with Taylor Hall if he still gets to play with Mike Camilleri and Kyle Palmieri. That line saw success last year. I still expect to see success from it this year. Most interesting, Elon, before I get into P.A. Parento, Devontae Smith-Pelly, no points so far. Mm-hmm. Arturi Lekkinen has won. But back to P.A. Parento. Oh. Uh, like my reasoning for wanting to make that bet was that was before Parento went to New Jersey. And I thought that Devante Smith-Pelly was going to be playing on the top line with Taylor Hall. I want, I want to call off that bet. What a convenient excuse. <laughs> He's still playing with Pavel, Zaka and Bo Bennett. That's not chopped liver. I okay. liked Arturi Lekkinen's deployment. And so far I'm right. We have three games to go in the bet. I can't wait to see how it turns out. You should have chosen P.A. Parento. He leads the Devils in shots on goal right now with seven. He's the only Devil to have two points after two games. Useful all around the lineup. So we've already seen him in a bunch of different spots in the Devil's depth chart. And I wonder if that's going to continue. I think he's probably good for 45, 50 points. He has upside for 55 if he sticks on a good line, which I hope he will. I mean, all I'd want for him is to either be with Hall or Camilleri. But the thing with him is part of sticking on a good line also has to mean an increase over his current 14 minutes of ice time per game, though he ranks seventh amongst New Jersey forwards in time on ice right now, just behind Devontae smith Pelly. There you go. He's going to break out any second. Actually, no, I definitely don't think that. Please, nobody rush to grab Devontae smith Pelly. Pick up P.A. Parento. He's looking great. Okay, Brian, another interesting pickup was Christopher Stieg, who was trying out with Edmonton, somehow wound up with Calgary. Not really sure how that works, but hey, he's jumped right into the top line playing with Monahan and Gojo. So that's definitely not too shabby. We were maybe expecting Troy Brower to get that spot. He's doing fine, though, with Bennett and Kachuk on the second line. Though, actually, I'm seeing that Kachuk already might have been bumped off of that line. So I'm not sure about him, but I think Brower is okay, especially if you're in a league that counts hits. I think you can rely on at least like 40 points from him or maybe like 35 to 40 points and some hits. But okay, back to the top line. Christopher Stieg. Okay, so... Fantasy relevant. Just by playing with Monaghan and Gojo, I give you at least short-term fantasy relevance. It's just like Patrick Eves in Dallas playing with Ben and Sagan. You got to have a guy on that line. And so far, Versteeg has one point. 
Oh, so does actually Gojo and Monahan. So once that line breaks out, Versteeg should probably be able to join in for the ride. Hopefully. I was going to start this little segment off by saying that Versteeg is no Yuri Hoodler. But an interesting note is that without Hoodler last year, Gaudreau and Monaghan, they played with Michael Furland and David Jones the most. Those were the most common third pieces with them. And the lines with those guys, instead of Hoodler, actually had better expected goal and shot attempt rates, actually more so with Furland than Jones. But anyway, they were better with Furland than they were with Hoodler. Their numbers with Jones weren't far off of Hoodler, but on the whole... I guess it just pointed to Hoodler was not the straw that stirred the drink on that line or even a make or break ingredient, though we have a real small sample size of Furland and Jones on that line. So perhaps it's unfair to Yiri. Back to Versteeg, though. Yeah, one point, only two shots in three games played. I don't know that he's worth your while at this point. I think he's still a serviceable NHLer, but he's going to have to get a touch in when he's on the ice to try and get in on Gaudreau and Monaghan scoring between them, by the way. Gaudreau and Monaghan, 16 shots on goal over the first couple games so about two and a half shots per game for each of them anybody worrying that they only have a point each so far take it easy Calgary was just getting creamed by Edmonton somehow in those first couple games of the season and I expect everything to be just fine with those two I'm not rushing to pick up Versteeg just yet though until I see that he can really keep up with them once they do get going all right so Brian really quickly Versteeg or Parento who would you take you hate these Parento Okay, next, Ricard Raquel finally signed with Anaheim after that long holdout. But, you know, don't jump on him just yet if you don't have to because he's apparently still a couple of weeks away from joining the team because of visa issues. But watch out Nick Ritchie because his time may be running out on the top line with Perry and Getzlaff. But so far tonight, he's still in that spot and he also had a decent start to the season. Like Ritchie had five hits or something and a good number of shots on goal in his first game. Also, I was excited about Jacob Silverberg playing on the top power play with Perry and Getzlaff. That's already apparently over. I'm looking at the current lines for the game in progress. Maybe it just ended for Anaheim today. And the top power play was Getzlaff, Kessler, and Corey Perry as the forwards on that line. So maybe Ryan Kessler gets a bit of a bump. Obviously, Anaheim is going to shake things around for a bit until they can figure out what they're doing, especially with the new coach. By the way, it was also Cam Fowler and Sammy Vatnin on the top power play, and Fowler had a power play goal, I think. So very interesting. I was kind of worried because I missed Silverberg in a draft. I, you know, I got sniped by him basically. And I was wondering, oh, maybe I should have taken him top power play on Anaheim. That would be so sweet already being shifted around. So, you know, not to be too excited. And yeah, like I said, Nick Ritchie, also someone who, if you're super excited about him being on the top line, grab him for the short term, but things might change once Ricard Raquel joins the team. Yeah, with Raquel in the mix, that definitely hurts the value of both Ritchie and Silverberg. If you can grab Raquel and stash him in like a not active spot or whatever your league might offer. I think that would be a good move. I think Elon, you mentioned he's still a week or two away from getting a game in. He did have some offseason surgery, I believe, and I think he has to make the trip or whatever, get his visa issues cleared up. So when he does join the team, he's probably still my favorite left winger if that's the position he plays. I wonder if he can he can move around. So we'll see where he ends up. For now, I think he's a he's a decent ad and just be wary of what he does to the value of other Ducks in the lineup. And before you move on, Elon, I forgot to mention while we were still in Calgary, Dougie Hamilton has 13 shots on goal, tied for third in the NHL. That's what we loved him for in Boston. 
it's good to see him starting strong in Calgary. I'm sorry, that is not a smooth segue at all from Raquel to Hamilton to your next guy. <laughs> That's fine. No, how about instead of having a next guy, there are a few other acquisitions. I'm just going to ramble them off, then you can say what you want about any of them. The Kings signed Devin Setaguchi, who I didn't even know was like available or someone's still playing hockey, but there you go. Word was he was going to play with Kopitar, but actually in the last game was on line three with Brown and Shore, so I'm not expecting much from him. It was actually Dwight King playing with Kopitar and Toffoli in the last game. Also, Polkanen went to the Wild. He was someone we were surprised was dropped by Detroit. Goes to Minnesota. He's been in the bottom six. Nothing special. Seth Griffith maybe surprisingly got dropped by Boston, and then he got signed by Toronto. And Mike Condon in Pittsburgh right now. I'd imagine he'll get a game or two while Matt Murray's injured, but obviously nothing to be too excited about after his disaster last year with Montreal. Yeah, speaking of Condon, I wonder if once Murray comes back and the Pens wave Condon, if the Kings might be biding their time and hoping that Zach Koff and Budai can get them through until the moment that they can claim Mike Condon, even though we saw what Condon could do in Montreal last year, which was not much. Although the whole team was a tire fire, I'm willing to give him a second chance in L.A. Setaguchi, few shots on goal in his time, no power play time. This is not the Devin Setaguchi that we're used to seeing or that we remember seeing necessarily. It's great that he's back in the league. I know it was a hard road to get back into the NHL, so I'm happy to see him there, but he's not a fantasy-relevant player at the moment. Interestingly, with Gabrick injured, Tyler Toffoli is up on that top line with Kopitar, which leaves Jeff Carter with Trevor Lewis and Teddy Purcell. So he kind of drew a short straw there, but he's still good. Carter's still good, as always, for a bunch of shots and goals. It would be nice for him to have a bit more support, though. So I'm probably going to dock him a few points because of those line mates. But we'll see. Purcell's been a good supporting character in the past. Oh, man, that's a bummer. I picked Jeff Carter in one of my pools. Oh, well, hopefully he'll be okay. I'd love for him to get Tyler to fully back as a line mate. Okay, a few other hot streaks I wanted to mention. Maybe I could just ramble through these and then we could do the same thing, Brian. So Thomas Vanek had that great first game for Detroit. He scored two goals and, you know, really reminded us, oh yeah, Thomas Vanek, he's good, right? He's good at hockey. He also had five shots in that game. Not much in his second game of the year, but his line still scored, and it's a line of Gustav Nyquist, Vanek, and Darren Helm. And that's actually been one of the only productive lines on Detroit so far. The, the Zetterberg, Nielsen, and actually Athanasiu got onto that line, but not much from them yet. And then you've got, I guess, Tatar with Sheehan and Larkin. We were talking about Tatar potentially playing with Zetterberg and Nielsen. We thought that would be exciting. So things obviously getting shaken around a lot in Detroit. Let's just zero in on Vanek. I guess he's probably still a free agent in a lot of leagues. Do you think he can at least somewhat approach the Thomas Vanek that we remember, who was able to get like 30 plus goals and 60 plus points every year back when he was on Buffalo. I think that might be a stretch. I think we're looking at 50, 55 points in an ideal scenario, which is probably about the cap for anyone in Detroit right now. But playing net front on the power play is a good place for him to be on the first power play unit, I need to clarify. Yeah, then if we go to Philadelphia, great start for Travis Konechny. And he's someone who we've talked about. And also we were talking about maybe he has some injury issues, but who cares? Like, he's doing great. He has three assists in two games to start the year on a line with Couturier and Voracek. And Couturier, by the way, two goals. So a great start for him as well. Of course, one thing you have to consider is that Braden Shen is going to be coming back soon from suspension, though I'd imagine he's just going to kick Raffle off the first line, and hopefully that line of Voracek, Couturier, and Konechny will stay together. 
He's another guy, by the way, Konechny and Couturier, actually. They're probably both available as free agents in your league. So, Brian, what do you think about these guys? Are they people that should be on people's radars, at least on their watch lists, right? Yeah, both certainly you should be watching. And I don't have any concern that Chen's going to replace them. I think you're right. The Rafflecopter will descend down onto the third line. And Braden Chen slated for a really good year ahead of him, I'm hoping, playing with Giroud and Simmons on that first line. Yeah, and I'll mention the top power play on Philadelphia has been in their last game, Giroux, Simmons, Voracek, and Nick Cousins as the fourth guy, the fourth forward. So that's surprising. Obviously, that is Braden Shen's spot. Doesn't really matter. He'll take it, it. It must be some nepotism at work. Oh, yeah? How so? His last name is Cousins. Oh, Terrible oh, joke. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> And also, you know, by the way, some defensemen on Philadelphia, like everyone was obviously so excited about Ghost Bear. He has a point in two games. I'm sure he'll be fine. But, you know, Mark Strait, he's still around. He scored a goal. And actually also Provorov got a point. So some excitement over there in the Philadelphia D. And then in Nets, it was maybe a little bit surprising that Neuwirth got the first game. Mason got the second game. Neuwirth played better, I guess, to start. But obviously it's a long season ahead. But I don't think that necessarily Mason has won the job or has the job and it's his job to lose in Philadelphia, which is something that maybe you alluded to or you suggested during Schmorgolisborg. You said maybe it should be that way. Definitely seems like Neuwirth is going to be getting a shot just from the fact that he started the first game of the year. So I think I said that I believe Mason will come out the winner in any goaltending battle that might occur. I didn't say it wouldn't happen, but I said that Mason should be the number one goalie going into the year. And I meant should be as like, that's what Philadelphia management should do not necessarily what they will do. Interestingly enough, I think Neuwirth has definitely struck first. He had a 920 save percentage with the win. Steve Mason, 886 with the loss, although he did face more shots and played behind an unrested Flyers squad. So I'd like to see the tables turn. Maybe he could get the first half of the back-to-back next time. I still think he's the better NHL goalie. I'm not sure in a timeshare if he'll appear to be the better NHL goalie, though. That's my concern now. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see on Philadelphia. I actually have both of them in one of my leagues, so I guess I don't really care. I I would love for one of them to just take the job so I could drop the other one for a skater, but for now, I guess I'll just keep both and hope that one of them takes the win there, or at least that Philadelphia can get a lot of wins and play pretty well, better than they did in that last game where Mason, like you said, had the sub-900 save percentage. You mentioned Strait and Provorov also, and I've seen good things written about the way those two are working together. Strait still has it, even though Ghost Bear moved up the depth chart while Strait was injured last year, and that was the end of that. Strait is still a good puck-moving defenseman, and Provorov's young and has some talent too. I think that's a really interesting pairing, and I'm very curious to see how much they can produce at 5-on-5. A lot of us are only interested in Provorov and Strait if they're on that top power play unit, but I think we might need to reconsider if they do get on a good rhythm in the first few weeks of the season at even strength. And speaking of defense, I mentioned him before, Zach Wierenski. What a great start to his career. He has two points in two games, nine shots on goal in those two games with Columbus. So looks like he's getting top power play time. Who knows with Tortorella? Like that could totally change. But for now, he's doing great. And not to say Seth Jones loses any value. He also has two points in his first two games. He had a golden assist against Boston, even though they lost that game six to three. Seth Jones was good. Wierenski was good. So both of them looking good. Both of them getting power play time, though it looks like Wierenski is getting more power play time. So actually, I think I would prefer Wierenski over Jones right now. Is that crazy? And not only do I want Wierenski over all the other rookie defensemen, I might want him over all other Columbus defensemen. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Wierenski is 
off to a great start, and he seems to have earned a lot of ice time from John Tortorella, which usually means you're going to continue getting ice time from John Tortorella for as long as John Tortorella is in Columbus, that is. Elon, in the notes, he wrote, what more do you want from Wierenski? And I would say, I would like first his name to be a little easier to say. It's very easy to stumble over. And secondly, the Columbus Blue Jackets don't play again until Friday. Keep that in mind this week for your team. If you're looking to add a Blue Jacket, if you don't think they're going to be taken between now and Friday, you can probably wait to make that move. And if you own like Foligno or Dubinsky and want to cycle somebody in to get a couple games on off nights in the meantime, something to consider. Wow. So you might be playing a game of chicken with your other league mates on Zach Wierenski. If he's still available in your league, he's 65% owned right now on Fantrax. So that number is growing. I think it's going to keep growing. I think you need to add him. If you want to wait, try to get a couple of games out of someone else before he plays on Friday, you know, do so at your own risk because I think he's the real deal. I think that he is going to have a great year. Uh, One more hot streak, Brian, before we end the show with some people who are really disappointing so far. I just wanted to mention, I guess I already brought him up also, but Patrick Eves, like I said, has been on the top line with Ben and Sagan. All three of them have three points in two games. Not surprising. If you play with Ben and Sagan, you get points. He's also been on the top power play. Who knows how long this will last, but gotta grab Patrick Eves if you can for the short term. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yuri Hoodler is obviously the flip side of that coin. We thought maybe he'd end up on the top line. He's been playing with Sharp and Spezza, hasn't gotten any points, and I actually dropped him to add Jonathan Marcheseau earlier today in one of my leagues, just because I feel nobody's going to rush to grab Yuri Hoodler at the moment, and I'm also waiting for that extra eligibility from Marcheseau, hoping it comes. I can handle it if it doesn't. Elon, I'm going to mention one last guy, Richard Panic. We need to mention... What he did the other night for Chicago, he's had some incredible scoring lines to start the year playing with Taves and Hosa. Well, actually, Brian, like these Chicago lines have just been crazy. It's not even worth trying to think about who Panic has been playing with. Like they started the year with Panarin, with Kane, and then they had Panic with Hosa and Taves. And then they also had him on the second line with Patrick Kane for a little bit. And Mott was there. And then there's Anisimov. They've just been shuffling it all around. They split up. Kane and Panarin for a little bit. And by the way, Panarin, no points in three games. So maybe even though you made a mistake mentioning him before on the show, maybe there is something to be concerned about with him. But yeah, Panic has been great so far. He had, was it a hat trick yesterday? I believe so. I'm like, my head is spinning from everything we've talked about, but I watched the game. I'm pretty sure he had a hat trick. Yeah, so... I don't think you could rely on any Chicago Lions right now. They won that game against Nashville, which was their first win of the year. So maybe they'll stick with whatever Lions they had then. But even within the game, the Lions were changing. So I'm not sure how they'll start the next game. I guess you could follow Chicago beat writers. Tracy Myers is the one that we follow and we see a lot of updates from her for what's going on in Chicago. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But Panic, definitely, if he's playing on either of those top two lines, he probably has some value. So Brian, I guess we've talked about Eves. You said you dropped Hoodler for Marcia So now Panic. Like, was Eves still available, by the way, when you picked up Marcheseau? Didn't even look. All right. Well, yes, I'm interested to see. I kind of feel like I would want Eves right now out of anyone if it's a short-term ad. And then I think I would go Marcheseau and then Panic just because, I don't know, just I'm not ready yet. Like, give me a couple more good games from Panic before I get super excited. Okay. Eves or Versteeg? I would take Eves. Why? Because he's already doing really well. He has three points in two games and he's on the top power play, unlike Versteeg, who's been on the top line, but not on the top power play. Very well justified opinion. I agree. All right. So, but yeah, Marcia So you still took over Eves. I feel like it could go either way. I think Marcia So obviously has the better chance to stay 
on the top line, or at least in the top six. Eve's like, we've seen it before. He gets on that line and then he gets dropped down and maybe Yuri Hoodler will get there. And then Brian will have to rush to re-grab Yuri Hoodler and we'll see what happens with that. Dallas is always crazy. Let's go to some cold streaks to end the show. Let's end the show with something more depressing. And let's go to goaltending. Brian Elliott, ooh, rough start to his stint with Calgary. Those two games against Edmonton, 10 goals against total and 818 save percentage. Can he bounce back? Is this just going to be a case where he's going to be another one of these goalies that goes to Calgary and then his career ends because he's so horrible, just like Jonas Hiller? No, I don't think so. Although that's a really interesting comparison you make because I still maintain that Jonas Hiller was doing really well before he came to Calgary. Maybe he was on the downside of his career. I don't know that Elliot is over the hill just yet. Although I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a really different place for him to be in Calgary versus St. Louis to be coddled in one of the better defensive systems in the league, perhaps the best defensive system in the league, going to a team like Calgary, who's just changed coaches after having one of the worst team defenses in the last couple of years, despite having a pretty deep decor. So it's like they have the personnel to make it work. They have to figure out how, and Brian Elliott has to figure out how to play behind it. His adjusted goal saved above average is pretty solid. He does seem to have a positive goal saved above average differential, which means that he would stop more goals against than the average goalie would have in St. Louis. So that's promising for him heading to Calgary. I believe that he can recover and still have at least a league average season. Yeah, though, maybe another wrinkle in all of this is that Chad Johnson played yesterday for Calgary against Vancouver. Obviously, Vancouver isn't as offensive a team as Edmonton, but Chad Johnson had a great game. He only let in one goal. They lost two to one in the shootout, I guess. But, you know, a 968 save percentage to, you know, start his season with Calgary and his stint also with Calgary because he's new. He came from Buffalo last year. Is there any risk that Johnson now gets the next start and maybe could get some momentum going? I said no last year when it was Chad Johnson, Linus Allmark, and Chad Johnson ultimately ended up being the goalie the Sabres used more. So I'm not feeling terribly comfortable betting against Chad Johnson right now, although I do think Brian Elliott is the better goalie. Last year, Allmark was just more of a hunch. Chad Johnson is like an average NHL backup, which means he's not quite an average NHL starter, while I think Brian Elliott is at least that. Another goalie that's also been really, really bad is Cam Ward. Obviously, it's only been one game. He lost to Winnipeg 5-4. to four. It looked like Carolina was going to win that game. Then right at the end, Winnipeg came back. The whole team fell apart, but especially Cam Ward. He ends the game with an 808 save percentage. Just brutal. Now, Eddie Lack is going to play tonight. By the time you listen to this podcast, you'll already know how Lack did. I'm hoping. I think it'll be great if Lack could have a good game and start putting his feet down and saying, I want to be the starting goalie in Carolina. I should be. Cam Ward is not very good. I know, Brian, you're banking on Eddie Lack earning this job. We thought it would happen last year and it didn't. Do you think there's a better chance this year? So Cam Ward, you know, I'm not going to pin everything in that loss on him, but Carolina was up four to one. I believe it was with 15 minutes left to go in the third. Ended up losing five to four. A real shame for my fantasy team, who was desperate enough to have to add Cam Ward after my draft. I did draft Eddie Lack, though. I think Eddie Lack needs a good start, and then he'll have the chance to get another good start and another and another. I'm really into Eddie Lack. There's no reason why the Hurricanes should keep trotting out Cam Ward to keep losing games and posting subpar save percentages when they have someone in Eddie Lack who is proven to be better than that, might just need to be worked with a little bit. We talked in the offseason how... 
maybe the Hurricanes weren't playing to his strengths last year, and that's why things didn't work out between them. It's not just quite the best fit for either one of them. But I feel like if they work towards making that fit, Eddie Lack is at least a league average goalie, and I think he's better than that. Okay, yeah, I'm rooting for Eddie Lack to do this and to just end this silliness. Let's stop with Cam Ward getting all these starts and having to wonder, should I pick him up for the spot start? He might blow me up, but every once in a while he does okay, so it's tough. Let's just get Eddie Lack to be the starting goalie in Carolina. Come on, Eddie, it's your chance. Do it tonight. Next wow, Colster. so inspirational. <laughs> I hope he's listening. Let's go to the New York Islanders. Tavares and Andrew Ladd started the season with no points in their first two games. Today, Tavares got a point. Andrew Ladd, still nothing. They were playing with Jason Shamara. I don't know why the Islanders had Shamara on that top line. It looks like they made a switch. And tonight, it was Josh Bailey. And Josh Bailey scored a goal. So if you're wondering who you might want to add as the third on that line, it's Josh Bailey. But Brian, should people maybe be worried about Andrew Ladd, who's scoreless in three games? I think people should have been worried about Andrew Ladd going into the season. A lot of people thought that he was just going to step in and be Kyle Ocposo. He's not Kyle Ocposo. He had a rough season last year, even when he was getting better minutes in Winnipeg. And by that, I mean, at the times he was getting better minutes because his minutes in Long Island are going to be, at least by our indication so far, consistently better than they were in Winnipeg, where he ended up on the third line frequently last season. But yeah, I'm not sure... That lad is much better. I don't know. This might be a little extreme. I was going to say much better than a replacement level player next to John Tavares. Things probably a little better, but he's really going to need to count on Tavares to do things. And Jason Shimmera being on that line does not help John Tavares do many things at all. Interestingly enough, Jason Shimmera finally got his first point of the season playing away from Tavares and Ladd. So go figure. It's going to be nutty in Long Island this year. You know, there are a lot of obvious coaches on the hot seat. I think Jack Capuano might be one coach that we find on the hot seat before long. And John Tavares, by the way, he had a goal today. So he maybe gets a stay of execution before we talk about him being on a cold streak. But maybe he's someone you could still buy low on because he's had a slow start. Like you say, his line mates aren't as good. Maybe he'll have a little trouble. He'll still be like a 70-point guy. Maybe he'll have trouble getting to be like an 80-point guy. Dustin saying in the chat, Ovechkin and Kuznetsov both pointless so far. But okay, let's just... We'll wait on that because it's obviously early in the season and all of these cold streaks, unless there's like a reason to be concerned, you know, something beyond just the fact that they don't have points. That's why Panarin, I'm not going to go too crazy about though, playing away from Kane, we don't really know. Or like, you know, Nazem Kadri, who we said is like low on the depth chart. These guys, maybe we have a reason to be concerned. People like Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, we have to give them a bit more time because it's such a small sample size. Let's end the show. A couple of defensemen. I want to mention Sergachev just to point out because yesterday people were getting so mad at me that I was talking about rookie defensemen and they were getting mad that I wasn't mentioning Sergachev. So finally like, fine, Brian, tell us about Sergachev. He's been healthy scratched in one game for Montreal and he played only 11 minutes and 48 seconds in the other. So forget about him. Okay. Drop him. If you picked him up and you're excited about him, I don't care if you're a Habs fan, you don't have any reason to be holding Sergachev. And then I'll also go to Calgary where I was originally going to have this guy as maybe a hot streak guy or someone that surprised me. Dennis Weidman looked really good on Wednesday versus Edmonton. He had a power play goal, five shots on goal, two hits, three blocks. Looked like this guy might be a really good multi-cat guy that you could grab as one of your last defensemen. Then he's not as good in his second game of the year against Edmonton. And then he was healthy scratched yesterday against Vancouver. So Dennis Weidman, maybe if you did grab him after that great start, who knows what's going to happen with the Calgary defense. But obviously Weidman isn't the nice depth guy that I thought he was after that first game. Yeah, sure. I mean, if he's in the lineup, he has some sneaky fantasy value. Uh, I already mentioned Dougie Hamilton. I guess I probably could have saved him for that. Lots of value on that Calgary decor. In fact, I might say there's enough that Dennis Weidman might be higher on my list than TJ Brody. Remember, TJ Brody, a lot of people have huge expectations because of what he did at even strength last year, which was super impressive. 
but not so likely to repeat. Elon, before we close it out, I do just want to go back to Chicago because you mentioned Panarin struggling a few times. And I want to point out, like, he has looked good. He hit the post uh, the other night or the night before. Like, he's still looking good. I'm not concerned that playing away from Kane, if that becomes a thing, is going to hurt him significantly. He seems to be talented enough to be able to generate scoring wherever he is. Of course, I might seem foolish for saying that now, but it's what I believe. And also, um, we had a question in the chat about maybe adding Panic. And I compared him to Artem Anisimov last year, who started the season so strong with Kane and Panarin, and then everybody grabbed him and then he petered out eventually as Panarin Kane sort of left him in the dust. That's sort of how I see things going for Panic this year. So if you want to grab him and see how long he stays hot for, by all means. But if you're comparing him to like Jonathan Marcheseau, I would prefer Marcheseau. So, Brian, we've named so many players this episode. I hope everyone listening has enjoyed this episode and us going maybe more breadth than depth. But we're definitely giving you lots of names to consider. If you have a question for us or if you think we missed someone, tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to hear from you. We'd also love if you could be so kind as to go onto iTunes and give us a five-star review. It's a couple clicks. Helps us out. Doesn't cost you a thing. You're already on the internet. So why not? Okay. Uh, that's it. Brian, we've talked about so many players. I feel like we need to end the show. So we've also mentioned the patron program, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. I'm going to cue that outro music now. Why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Corsica.Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantracks. Great job, as always, Brian. We'll catch you all again next week live. Just go to keepingcarlson.com slash live to join the live experience every Sunday night at 8 p.m. We'll catch you there. That was fun. It sure was. Until next time, keep on keeping Carlson.